Have you ever noticed that some people say the right words, but it doesn't seem to matter? I'll give you an example. Have you ever gone out to eat? And the waitress says all the right words, but as she speaks, you realize she's just saying them because they're the words you always say. You know what I'm talking about? But you don't sense any sincerity to the words like, oh, we're so glad you're here, but in their mind, you know they're saying, I am so close to the end of my shift. I wish that these people would just go away. The words are right, but the heart is in a different place. You've probably experienced that if you've raised children. Sometimes they say the right words, but you know their heart is somewhere else. Maybe you've experienced at work where all of a sudden the boss is standing in front of you And he's talking about how great everything is, but you know your boss. And you know that the words are right, but the heart is in a different place. That's what today's story is about from the Bible. We're continuing the story of the beginnings of Scripture and the beginnings of the story, and all of a sudden we enter into the first family. Uh, they don't get to live in Eden anymore. We learned about that last week because of the fall. But all of a sudden, we find out that Adam and Eve have kids. Now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man who will help will, with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. And so now all of a sudden, we have doubled the population of the world. We started with two and we have two more. But we also are living in a different world than God created because we're living in a fallen world, a world that he had to curse, a world that all of a sudden is dealing with the consequences of the sin of the first couple, Adam and Eve. And what happens with sin is what we see in the story today. We find out that these two guys chose different paths, and that's kind of what kids do, don't they? You don't raise carbon copies. So you have Abel, and he's the keeper of the sheep, and you've got Cain, and he's the farmer. He's the worker of the ground. And all of a sudden, you find you have two kids, and they're headed in two different directions. They have different likes. They're into different things. And any of you who've raised kids know that's how it works. Everyone's just a little bit different. And then you see how worship comes into the family. And all of a sudden you see this in Scripture. It says, in the course of time, (coughs) Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. So Cain basically took what he did. He was a farmer and he, he created an offering from what he did. And so he brought the Lord some fruit. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portion. So you have, you've got the farmer and the cattle farmer, you know? And they each bring from their crop. And then you see God looking at it. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So, you know, you can take a look at this and say, well, maybe God doesn't like fruit. 
Maybe that's the issue. Or maybe, maybe he likes God's a meat eater. He's a carnivore. And so he was more excited about that. And you take a look at Scripture and you see over and over again in Scripture, you see this sacrifice of an animal. In fact, we talked about that yesterday. Last week we said the sacrifice of an animal was the very first covering that God created for the shame of sin, right? When he clothed Adam and Eve. But you don't see the answer here, so you have to turn over to the book of Hebrews. You say, why, why did God like Abel's offering, but he struggled or he had no regard for Cain's offering? You find it in Hebrews chapter, 12, chapter 11, verse 4. It says, By faith Abel offered to the Lord a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by the accepting his offering. And through his faith, though dead, he still speaks. So there was a faith experience that Abel had when he gave the offering, but that was not seen in the heart of Cain. It's the difference between the two servers. It's the difference between the two obediences of children. It's the difference between the language of two different bosses. You see, God isn't just concerned that we do the right thing. God is concerned about what's taking place in our hearts. That's why when you take a look at the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that it speaks of is the attitudes. It said these are the attitudes that God blesses. And then you take a look at the content of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus said it's not enough just to do the right thing. You have to have the right thinking behind it remember what he says you've heard it said do not commit murder but if you hate your brother if you have the wrong attitudes with your brothers that is considered murder and he says you've heard it said do not commit adultery but he says but it's bigger than that if you have an attitude of adultery if you have lust in your heart then you have committed adultery We need to understand that the Word of God makes it clear that the thing that God is most concerned about isn't just simply our actions, but it is the attitude of our heart that absolutely concerns Him. That's why He says this in Matthew. He was talking about uh, to, to the Pharisees, and He says, You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commands of men. God is concerned about this. Remember when your kids got old enough that you didn't only tell them they had to do the right thing, but you were concerned about their attitude when they were doing it? Remember this? God is concerned about what's taking place in our hearts. And that's why when he took a look at Abel's heart and the generosity of his heart and the excitement that he had and the attitude that he had and the faith that he had in giving of this offering to the Lord, he saw that between Cain going, oh, well, I guess we got to give an offering. Two apples and an orange. I hope it's enough. And he didn't regard the two as the same. This is the hardest part of Christianity for me. There's a lot of things that I know I can do right. And I know how to play nice. I'm from the north. 
I'm, I'm from North Dakota. There's this thing called Minnesota Nice. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before, but a New Yorker moved to, to Minnesota a couple years ago. I was talking to him. He says, I cannot stand Minnesota Nice. The people are just so, they just are so nice. They don't really mean it, but they're really nice. And I said, well, what do you prefer? I, he says, I prefer the rudeness of New York because you know what they're thinking because if they don't like it, they just say it. They're just, they're just honestly rude, and I prefer it. God struggles with our Minnesota nice. The fact that with our lips we say something, but our hearts are in a completely different place. You know what? If we're honest, we all struggle with that, don't we? In my marriage, occasionally Nancy has to say to me, Jim, I know you look like you're listening, but something tells me you're not really listening. You're you're pretending that you're doing the right thing, but you're not. With our children, we have that experience occasionally where they'll say, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. The issue for God is, is always the heart. That's why this was said. It says, God does not see as man sees, for man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That's his main concern. And when he looked at the offering, that's what he saw, and that's why he had no regard for it. But even in the middle of having no regard for that, I I love the fact that God still pursued Cain even though he had done the wrong thing. Let's read on in the story in chapter 4. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And you you know this attitude. You've seen this. It's pouting. (laughs) Anger and pouting. Now they're introduced into the world too. And, and, And some of us know how to do these things. My mother-in-law sat down with one of my children. She says, you're a good powder, and I know why. Because your grandma's a good powder. We trained you. You know, when you're angry and pouting, that isn't always the best time to interact with you, is it? Have you ever noticed that? Do you like when somebody says, what's wrong to you? Do you like that? No, our flesh hates that, and that's what we see here. Cain was angry and his face fell. (sighs) There's already a little bit of sibling rivalry going on, isn't there? Abel was acceptable and I'm not. (sighs) I should have taken two more oranges, you know? The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your face fallen? We do this as parents. We ask obvious questions. And then the Lord goes on to engage him and he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? But if you do not will, sin is crouching at your desire door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's interesting, this phrase at the end here, you can go back to chapter 3, verse 16. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Now all of a sudden it says that sin desires to rule over us. 
sin desires to win. And so he lovingly goes to Cain and he prompts him and he says, hey, if if you would change, you could be acceptable, but you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice because when you're angry and when you're pouting, you're not going to live a holy life. Have you ever been angry and started making really good decisions in your life? How many of you have had that experience before? You know? How many of you like to be behind an angry driver? You know? How many like to be in the room with an angry person? Have you ever gone to a counter and the person is angry at the counter and you're just thinking, this isn't going to be fun? You know? God engages us even when we disappoint him. I think that's really important for you to know. That's what the cross is all about. The cross is all about God. It says, for while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is willing to engage us even in the midst of our sin. Even in the midst of poor choices. And he was warning Cain because we know what comes next. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Anger can often lead to more problems. Have you ever noticed that we sin in clusters? We make a poor choice and we sin against God. And and instead of immediately going, oh, that was a bad idea, and going right back to God and, and getting our hearts right with God, we usually sin in clusters, don't we? We, we, we pile one up on top of another. And, and this is what we see. Cain is already frustrated and out of his frustration, instead of repenting and going to God and saying, God, I am so sorry that I disappointed you. He looks and he says, who did it better than me and how can I somehow take care of that as a problem? And he kills his brother. We're not going to have this worship problem anymore if I just kill the other worshiper. You know, there's a logical thinking that is lacking when we're sinning. You know, have you ever noticed that? You don't think through sin and go, now how can I do this with wisdom and, and thoughtfulness? Sin is always careless somehow. And that's what we see here. We see that many things kind of all of a sudden entered into a jealousy that led to a rage that led to the death of his brother. You're saying, well, that's pretty extreme. But sin is always extreme. You know, in the world today, we set all kinds of rules. Our country is filled with all kinds of rules. And you know what those rules are for? They're to manage sin, aren't they? Okay? Out of selfishness, instead of walking in the crosswalk, you want to walk anywhere on the street across the street. And so we had to create a rule to manage that selfishness called jaywalking, right? Out out of selfishness, we all think when we get to an intersection, we should go first. But we had to put a stop sign on all four corners of it. And then we had to create rules of how you decide who goes next. Why? Because sin is selfish and we wanted to manage that. And so all of a sudden, somebody goes, well, you know, uh, I, I think that I should go first. And so then we have to add an addendum to the rule, right? 
because we're constantly trying to manage selfishness. That's why whenever you buy a house, there's about 32 pages of paper you will never read. And they're all about managing sin somehow of mistakes that somebody made. I even worked for a church in South Florida. And to use all different kinds of rooms and all different kinds of things, there's all these forms that we had to fill out because people were selfish sometimes and they, they didn't sensitively think about what were the needs of other people. And instead of just sitting down with people and trying to bring repentance to people so we could get along, it was easier to make another form to manage our sinfulness. Cain didn't manage his sinfulness. His heart was in the wrong place, and all of a sudden, because his heart was in the wrong place, he took his brother's life. Now, sometimes we don't go to that extreme, but sometimes in your frustration, you do assassinate somebody else's character, don't you? My son and I were sitting in a drive-thru last night. There's only one in town, so you know which one it was. And the person was really struggling, and we were laughing because we thought it was kind of funny. And then I said to my son, there's a camera. We probably should be nicer. That camera is to manage sin, to make it easier. So God engages him again. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? You know, I think that we see something in here that's really important. God never hits us up in the head with our sin. God never just sits us down and yells and screams at us. God is always a gentleman. If you feel deeply accused because of your sin, that is not God. Because God is always going to come to you with tenderness. He's going to help you Figure out where you're at with him. And that's what we see here. Then God said to Cain, where is your brother? And this is how Cain responded. You think Cain's heart's in the right place yet? No. I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, actually, yes, you are. Why? Because we're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. And we're supposed to love our brother as we love ourselves. So we really are our brother's keeper. But Cain still is not in a good spot. And so sin is continuing to cluster in his life. And so then God says to him, and the Lord said, what have you done? You know, what's really interesting in chapter 3, when, when he confronted um, Adam, that's what he said to him. Remember, what have you done? But it's in great tenderness that he says this. The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. You know, I know what you've done. Uh, it's obvious to me. But God comes to us with tenderness. I know that some of you are afraid to go to God because you think that He's mean. I know that some of you maybe have avoided God either in your relationship with Him or you haven't even started relationship because you think that He's mean. But I, God always approaches us in tenderness and love. But the other thing that you need to know about God is that God is holy. And that there are consequences to sin. And so we watch that take place here. And now you are cursed 
from the ground for which you which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive, a wanderer on the earth. You see, sin has consequences. I think that sometimes we think we can get away with it. We think we can get away with sin. We can get away with our rebellion with God and that it's not going to much matter. And we might even use the old scale saying, well, it wasn't that big a deal. Sin is always a big deal. And immediately when you sin, there are always going to be consequences and that's the pattern you see here from the very beginning. When Eve and Adam sinned, there was immediate consequences to their sin. And now when their son Cain sinned, there was immediate consequences to his sin. All of a sudden, he was stepping outside of God's favor. So all of a sudden, this farmer was going to find farming a lot harder. All of a sudden, instead of being welcomed where he was, he was banished from where he was, and so he was taken to another place. Sin always makes us somehow unwelcomed. Very few of you walk into rooms and say, hey, I just want you to know what I did wrong today. We usually try to cover that, don't we? We, we want to look our best. We want to be acceptable to other people. There were consequences from his sin. And Cain understood that, and this is how he responded to that. He says, my punishment is greater than I can bear Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from, my, and from your face I have, shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. He's decided that everybody else is going to treat him the way he treated his brother, which is kind of interesting because there's only three people right now, right? The thing about consequences that we have to be careful of is we have to understand that God gives us consequences so that we'll turn back to him, not to banish us from him. You see, that's how Cain saw this. You have banished me from prison. You know what? I believe that if he were to repent and says, God, please forgive me, God would have probably said, well, we're still going to have some consequences here. But if your heart can be in the right place, we can still have a relationship no matter where you wander. Do you know why? Because I'm everywhere. And I can be there. David understood that. He said, there's no place that I can be in Psalm 139 that you are not. You see God's tenderness again when he says this, then the Lord said to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain's vengeance, shall it be taken upon him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Now, some people have tried to decide what this mark is, and they've marked different races with this. That is not in the Bible. There is no explanation of what this mark was. For all we know, he just put a sign on his head that says, do not kill. I, don't, I have no idea what the mark was. But everybody knew what it was. Even in his punishment, he offered protection And I think the thing that you're going to find in your life and the thing that I hear so often from people as they talk to their life before God, they said, 
I can still see how God worked and how he took care of me even when I was far from him. I see how the hand of God works. God's mercy is never just to punish you for punishment's sake. God's goal always is to discipline you, to turn you back to Him. That's His goal. One of the things that sometimes people say at the end of service is, man, pastor, you really beat me up today. That is never my goal. And that is never God's goal. But the discipline of God comes so that we will turn back to Him. Because our sinfulness has consequences. And the consequence is always to push us back to the God who loves us. So, as you read on, you see about Cain's unrepentant life. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, which means wandering. Okay? The land of wandering. East of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And when he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. God told him to wander. That's what he told him. That that was his punishment. And he didn't even do what he was supposed to. I'm not going to wander. I'm going to settle. I'm not only going to settle, I'm going to name the place that I settled. I'm not going to listen to the voice of God. I'm going to set up life outside of the life of God. And you watched all kinds of people do that. We are surrounded by people who've really made that decision. They said, it's, I, I'm going to make a life for myself without God. Do you hear that? Do you see that? Occasionally you'll say, you really need God. Well, no, I'm fine. I'm glad that works for you, but I don't need God. I'm going to have a life without God. And then it goes on to just kind of describe this life that his family has. To Enoch was born Erad, and Erad was born Mahujiel, and Mahujiel fathered Mathushiel, and Mathushiel fathered Lamech. And then it goes on to explain some things about Lamech. Lamech had two wives. The name of one of them was Ada, and the name of the other was Zelah. And Ada bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He's the father of those who play the, the lyre and the pipe. So you, you've got one guy that, that's, he's a cattle farm and the other one that has a band. <laughs> you know? They're making a life for themselves. Outside of God, in Nob, in the place of wandering, they're making a life for themselves. It goes on to talk about the other one. Zelah bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. You know, he was the Paul Revere of his era. You know, the silversmith. And the sister of Tubal Cain was Nam, Nama. Okay? So all of these people, and this is the thing that we need to understand, is that sometimes one family member will have their heart in the wrong place, and God will talk to them about that, and they'll, they'll rebel against that, and God will send generations of family members in a direction away from God. I've had that conversation in the North Country more than once. You know, our family used to be Baptist, so really, when was that? My great-grandfather was a Baptist. 
Well, are you a Baptist? No, we don't go to church anymore. Something happened in that generation, and now there's generations of people making a life, living a life without God in the knob, in the place of wandering, generation upon generation. In fact, you'll see here that we went from a place that that there was a curse or a punishment or consequences to sin that now listen to Lamech. He's talking to his wives. He says to his wives, Ada and Zila, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to me. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. And so now all of a sudden, he's, he's broadcasting what he's doing. Hey, honey, I just want you to know, I know there's not double jeopardy if I tell my wife that I killed a man for wounding me. But listen to what he says at the end here. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's revenge is 77-fold. Why was there a revenge or a punishment for killing Cain? Because of God's mercy. He gave him life. But now all of a sudden the consequence becomes a sham, an issue of sarcasm, something that's not that big a deal, something that I can take into my own hands and say, well, we all know for Cain, you know, because Cain would still have been alive. I don't know for Cain, there was a, you know, seven times, but, you know, I killed a man and I'm going to raise the stakes. So what are the takeaways from this passage? What do we need to think about today? First of all, we need to understand that sin is a hard issue for God. Okay? It, that's what God is looking at. He's looking at what's happening in your heart. That's why one of the terms that we use when we talk about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ is we talk about this idea of God moving into our hearts because it's a heart issue and that's where God wants to dwell is, is, is in our inner being. It's a heart issue with God. It's not just the facts issue. He's concerned about what's taking place in our hearts. Sin is always a heart issue with God. Number two, God will always prompt you to obedience. There's nobody that's going to stand at the judgment day and go, but I didn't know that was a sin. I didn't know that was in the law. I didn't know I was disobeying you, God. I didn't know I was missing the mark. I, I didn't know I was sinning. That was a sin? Mind blow. No. Every one of us knows that we've sinned. There are marks in every one of your life where you know that you sin. And that's why when we come to the cross and we ask Jesus Christ to be our Savior, we admit that we were sinners because the cross is about Jesus Christ taking the punishment for our sins. Now, I'd like to tell you that He takes away all the consequences at that point. I don't think He does. That is not the picture of Scripture. But more important than the consequences of sin, Jesus takes away the punishment of sin. God should punish us and give us death for our sin. We should be forever separated from us. But the cross becomes a bridge and it says, for the wages of sin is death. 
Romans 6.23, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. God prompts us into desiring that relationship, and then when we're in our relationship with the Lord, He prompts us to obedience. Unless you're not listening to the Spirit at all, there's always those moments that just before you sin, God's going, there's a better way. Sin is crouching at your door. You don't need to go there. Sin is a willful decision of our hearts to disobey God. But God will always prompt us to obedience. The next takeaway, sin has consequences. You know, as a parent, I I think we want sometimes that our kids could sin for a couple years and there'd be no consequences. But it always has consequences. Billy Graham says, Sin is sowing our wild oats, and then we pray for crop failure. <laughs> you know, We don't want consequences to sin, but there are consequences to sin. And the world mocks those and minimizes those, just kind of like Lamech did. You call that a sin? I, I can still remember as a teenager... Watching a friend, hearing about a friend that I worked with die, and then feeling incredible guilt because I never talked to him about Jesus. I just complained about how lousy a worker he was. And I can remember telling a girl that I really liked at the time that I was really sad that I hadn't told her about Jesus, told him about Jesus. And she says, why does that matter? He was an okay guy. Well, no, there are consequences to sin. His consequences a life without God forever. So we need to take sin seriously. We need to stop just trying to cover it. And we've got to stop just trying to manage it. But we have got to come to the Lord with our sin that he is pointing out to us. And we've got to say, you're right, God. I'm sorry I got that wrong. Instead of just pouting because why is God always picking on me? <laughs> Abel always seems to get the, the way with things. And, you know, we've got to take our sin seriously. For some of you, that means that you have got to take your sin seriously by beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to accept this cross that Jesus Christ died on for you. You've got to realize you can't manage your sin or ever be good enough. And you need a Savior. Maybe that's you today. And instead of disregarding your sin or being frustrated that God is pointing it out to you, you've got to humbly admit and say, Dear Jesus, please forgive me for my sin. Thank you that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me to take the punishment for it. I accept His role in my life as a Savior that I need so that I can have a relationship with you. Thank you that He died on the cross. Simple words like that. And you can begin a relationship. But those of you who are Christian, that have asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, that live under grace, sin is still serious. And we have got to work with the Lord to fight this weakness in our life so that He can make us strong. We've got to ask for His transforming power in His life. What is that area? Remember, this is the year of rest. 
And a part of rest is release. And a part of the release is the slavery of sin. And what sin do we need to help you overcome this year? Because sin is a heart issue that bothers the heart of God. And even though you're playing all nice on the outside, He knows what's going on inside of you. And you can't play a game with God. The Minnesota nice thing does not work with God. Because He sees our heart. And so we need to take sin seriously. Let's bow our heads. Dear God, I pray that we would not minimize or mock sin, but that we would be serious about being holy as you are holy. God, I thank you for the gift of the cross. And I pray for the people in this room that have never accepted that gift. God, I pray that they would pray that simple prayer of asking you to be their Savior. Of asking you to forgive their sin. Of humbly accepting the reality that you've taken the punishment for them. And God, for those of us that know you, God, help us to not minimize our sin, but bring everything to the cross so that your grace can change not just our standing before you, but our daily life that we live with you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Charlie, why don't you come and lead us in a song? And uh, uh, I encourage you to take this moment to take your sin seriously. And as we stand together, if you, if you need a quiet moment, just kneeling at the front here, I encourage you to do that. If you would like somebody to pray with you about something in your life, I encourage you to do that. But I encourage you to draw a line in the sand with the Lord today about your experience and what's going on in your life. Let's stand together and we'll sing.